Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Hi, Desi. Hi. What are we doing? <laughs> is it my week? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's start off by thanking our Patreon contributors. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. We have a few new episodes that we just put up there. Yeah. So go check those out. This week we had Claudia, Mofo, Louise, Paula, Georgia, Sharar, Amber, Henriette, Kim, Emily, Hannah, Nayara, Monica, Melissa, Amy, Mike, Farah, Claire, Jennifer, Christy, Jesse, Erica, Sean, Alex, Haley, Legia, Bryn, Patty, and Aaron. I noticed that my friend Sean donated. He did? Yeah. I haven't seen him in a while. Hi, Sean. Hi, Sean. <laughs> and the person Mike has the same is the same name as my cousin. Oh. Maybe. It's not my cousin. <laughs> I don't think that's his, that's his email. Okay. Well, but thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for donating. Whether we know you or not. Whether we know you or not, <laughs> we love that you're our patrons. Yes. Okay, Desi. Well, since it's my birthday, I decided I'd go back into my bag of tricks. Okay. Pull out a new old-timey crime that you've never heard of. That's me every time you do it. I'm, like, shocked. I love being a magician. <laughs> I like surprising you and um, tantalizing you. Okay. Is that the right word? <laughs> uh, maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> we just had a whole bunch of pizza. Yeah. We're going to see how this episode plays out. Look, it could, who knows? Could anything, anything could happen tonight. Desi's had a little wine. Uh, slight wine, yes. Slight wine. <laughs> don't want people to think you're irresponsible. <laughs> Very sorry. Now, my main source for this episode was a book called American Bluebird, Lies and Dead Wives. And this book is by Elaine Lorraine Burnett Rague. I also used a lot of old newspaper sources. And this will be a two-part episode because there are a lot of people to talk about. Okay. Okay, Desi, let's get started. On April 9th, 1920, Walter Andrew was arrested at his home in East Hollywood on suspicion of acting as a fence for Liberty Bond thieves who had operated throughout Southern California. I feel like this is not your first story with Liberty Bonds playing a role. <laughs> I'm going to make a guess and say that in the 1920s, a lot of people had Liberty Bonds. Yeah. It seems that this way. This is the third story in a row that I've done <laughs> involving Liberty Bonds. Oh, my God. I swear. There's a lot of similarities, but then I'm like, oh, yeah, it was 1920s Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah. So there's bound to be some similar okay. stuff. Police were tipped off after his wife, Catherine Wambacher, had hired the Nick Harris Detective Agency after she had grown suspicious of her husband. 
Walter had married 44-year-old Catherine the previous year in 1919 in Seattle. He had told her that he worked as a broker for a trust in British Columbia and was also a secret agent. Oh. Catherine was eager to get married as she had grown tired of living alone, and Walter was always a perfect gentleman. In December of 1919, the newlyweds moved to Los Angeles, where Walter said his job had relocated him. Catherine's suspicions of her husband arose when he soon began taking long trips that he claimed were for business, but he was always really vague about the details. Mm. And I think that's kind of the good thing about telling people you're a secret agent. Yeah. You can get away with a lot of bullshit. Yeah. Like if they believe you, you can just be like, I have secret government business. I can't talk about where I was. And you know what I mean? And please don't ask me again. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, honey. Sorry. My husband's a very important man. (laughs) And this is a quote from Catherine. Quote, he would be gone 10 days or two weeks at a time and I would not know where he was. I had to go work here for he would fail to give me money. He would write me postcards, but never give me satisfactory explanations about his trips out of town. I got angry about that and decided to find out for myself. I went to the Nick Harris Detective Agency. Mm. Now, I looked up the Nick Harris <laughs> Detective Agency because this is not the first time I have come across oh, really? the Nick Harris Detective Agency. I, I found out that I had talked about somebody had used this agency in our Louise Pete episode. Oh, and it turns out this agency is still around. Oh, really? Yes. They are like the oldest private detective agency, and they're also an academy. They okay. teach you how to be a private detective. Oh, we should go to the academy. I think we should I think we should take a tour of this academy. So they've been around since 1906. Mm-hmm. Their website, um, you know, I was looking at pictures of Nick Harris. The, the original guy. The OG guy. Is he hot? No. Oh, no. shit. Sorry, guys. I know he, it's a hot name. The Nick Harris Detective Agency. Yeah. I mean, a, Nick is like, that can be a hot guy. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's my brother's that's name. That's my brother's <laughs> name, so I don't really know how I feel about that. But yeah, it's a good name. It's a good name. So uh, she called up the Nick Harris Detective Agency. What Catherine didn't expect was the private investigation of her husband was going to lead to his arrest. Oh. She just thought like he, she would find out he was cheating yeah. on her. She just wanted some info. Yeah. Like all some domestic a, sort of related stuff. Right. That she could be like, aha, mm-hmm. you were at the uh, Roosevelt. You were at Edith's. <laughs> you were at Edith's house on 8th Street. Yeah. No. She did not know he was about to get in a whole world of shit. She was present when he was arrested in their home, and he put up a hell of a fight. Oh. He was like, it was a knockdown, drag out kind of fight. Upon arriving at the station, police searched Walter and found only his wallet, but inside the wallet was a lot of good shit. This, uh, the police found receipts for a storage unit. They found some telegrams, jewelry, and a key. Now, this key belonged to a black satchel that Catherine had long been suspicious about. (laughs) Her husband was very secretive about this black satchel that he carried around everywhere, and he did not let this satchel out of his sight. He always took it with him on trips, 
And whenever his wife asked what was in the bag, he was very vague about his answer, claiming it was just business papers and not to worry about it. When police searched Walter's black bag, they found a treasure trove of incriminating evidence. (sighs) Among the items were bank books, property deeds, safety deposit box keys, jewelry, pieces of paper with names and addresses of various women, more Liberty Bonds worth thousands of dollars, love letters from several women across the country, and three marriage licenses, all under different aliases. <gasps> at this time, investigators believed that he had at least four wives across the Pacific Coast. Oh, and his name was not Walter. It was James P. Watson, he said. And if, that, and if they took him to San Diego, he could prove his identity at his bank. Okay. <laughs> The police loaded him into the car and they began their drive down to San Diego. When they arrived, Watson had nearly passed out. When they opened his coat, they discovered that he was bleeding from the neck. Watson had slashed his throat with a penknife. He was then rushed to a nearby hospital. When he was well enough, they took him back to L.A. to the Los Angeles County Hospital. While he was at the L.A. hospital, Watson made a second attempt on his life, slashing his wrists this time with another penknife. Where is he keeping them? (laughs) I don't know how he got a hold of another penknife. What is a penknife exactly? Do you know? No. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Now you know how I feel when you ask questions. I don't know. (laughs) I just imagine that like a skinny knife. That's what like I think, Like a long too. knife? Yeah. Like an exacto. Okay. I was just curious. It's probably not, but he had a pen knife, doesn't okay. he? I mean, I've heard the term a million times. I of just course. never knew. Uh, what had happened was the nurse came in and he said he wanted a sip of water. She uncuffed one of his I see. handcuffs while he took the sip of water. And while she had her back turn, he whipped out his pen knife. That happened. Didn't something similar happen in Sons of Anarchy? You can't undo a, a oh, prisoner's arm. That was a <laughs> that was a very satisfying death. Yeah, you gotta. You can't never undo someone's arm. That was the auto. Yeah, that was a great scene. Uh, auto killed me. Uh, poor auto. Oh, poor fucking auto. Auto went through the ringer. <laughs> Damn on that show. That was a hard last year <laughs> for him. I was think I was thinking about <laughs> Sons of Anarchy again and like. I kind of wish there was like a few more seasons to watch. I don't even care if it's good. I just would enjoy watching more of it. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Okay. At this time, detectives began tracking down Watson's other wives. Yeah. One of the wives, a woman named Alice Ludvigson, had disappeared. And police were looking into whether or not a body that was discovered in a canyon in Martinez, California last November was hers. (gasps) So they had discovered this body. No one had like... No one was looking for her. Right. And they're like, well, she's been missing. Let's check the dental records. So they were on that mission. Alice had married Watson in Seattle in June of 1919. (gasps) Watson told her that his name was Lewis Hilton. The last Alice's family ever heard from her was when they received a letter from her saying that she was going to Canada. That wasn't the only woman that James P. Watson married that month. (gasps) He also married Bertha Goodnick in Spokane, Washington. He told her his name was H.L. Gordon. 
The last her family ever heard from her was when they received a letter saying she was going to Canada. So he kept some details similar. <laughs> I'm always like kind of fascinated by the details they decide to keep, keep the and same. Which ones they change? Yeah, because also the names, the aliases that he chooses. I feel like they're not different enough from each other. Like there's a lot of H's and L's and like... Because he probably couldn't remember them otherwise, right? But they're they're too different. It's like, I feel like it's so easy to get all these names confused. Yeah, I would not include initials personally. I'd be like Frank James Walter. (laughs) Right, but there's so many different combinations of like Walter, W, like and Watson, like and Andrew is in there a lot. Look, he has several more aliases. That's just like three that I've told you. At this point, the papers were referring to Watson as a bluebird. I mean, sorry, a bluebird. I'm so sorry. Bluebeard. Bluebeard. I was about to be like, what is a blue? Like, sorry. Like, it's some old timey. Yeah, I was like, I never heard that expression before. But isn't the book titled Bluebird? No, Bluebeard. American oh. Bluebeard. Okay. Okay. I heard Bluebird. <laughs> Wait, you did? Did I say Bluebird? I think you said no, Bluebird. No, I didn't. Did I really? Pause this right now and check. Okay. 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 Hold on. Okay. I totally, I rewound and I totally said American Bluebird. In what I meant to say, the book title is American Bluebeard. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. It's fine. Bluebeard. Okay. Look, your brain wants to say bluebird. You love birds. <laughs> I don't love birds. I just think your brain wants to say it. I mean, I know what a bluebeard is. Yeah, me too. I think bluebeard is a little harder to say than bluebird because you use bluebird maybe more often. Possibly. I mean, you never use bluebeard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now we've got that settled. So the papers start referring to James P. Watson you know, Bluebeard yeah. being questioned by the police. Bluebeard this and Bluebeard that. Do you know the story of Bluebeard? I do. I was obsessed with this story when I was a little kid. It's so scary. I couldn't, I thought this was the scariest story ever. Yeah, me too. I still think it's um, a very scary story. It's, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about Bluebeard for those of you who don't know. Uh, so Bluebeard is a French folktale that was penned by Charles Perrault in 1697, and this tells the story of a very wealthy man who murders all his wives. Yeah. And I'm going to read from Wikipedia be- just like the plot of this story because I just want to talk about how creepy this is. It says, Bluebeard is a wealthy and powerful nobleman who has been married several times to beautiful women who have all mysteriously vanished. When Bluebeard visits his neighbor and asks to marry one of his daughters, the girls are terrified. After hosting a a wonderful banquet, the youngest daughter decides to be his wife and she goes to live with him in his rich and luxurious palace in the countryside away from her family. Bluebeard announces that he must leave for the country and gives the keys to the, of the chateau to his wife. She is able to open any door in the house with them, each which contain some of his riches, except for an underground chamber that he strictly forbids her to enter lest she suffer his wrath. 
He then goes away and leaves the house and the keys in her hands. She invites her sister Anne and her friend and cousins over for a party. However, she is eventually overcome with the desire to see what for what the forbidden room holds, and she sneaks away from the party and ventures into the room. She immediately discovers the room is flooded with blood and the murdered corpses of Bluebeard's former wives hanging on hooks from the walls. Horrified, she drops the key in the blood and flees the room. She tries to wash the blood from the key, but the key is magical and the blood cannot be removed. Bluebeard unexpectedly returns and finds the bloody key. In a blind rage, he threatens to kill his wife on the spot, but she asks for one last prayer with her sister, Anne. Then, as Bluebeard is about to deliver the fatal blow, Anne and the wife's brothers arrive and kill Bluebeard. The wife inherits his fortune and the castle and has the dead wives buried. She uses the fortune to have her other siblings married and then remarries herself, finally moving on from her horrible experience with Bluebeard. I don't remember that last part of the story. I don't either. I do remember being really scared of stories like this because I was like, I know I'm opening that one forbidden area. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm opening it. And like when the when the key, the blood, like she couldn't hide what she had done. That was also very scary to me. Yeah. You know? Uh, that's the thing. You can't tell somebody that they're so strictly forbidden from doing something that's so seemingly innocent, like opening a door to a room without them wanting to do it. No, it's impossible. It's not like you strictly forbade them to do something that's like makes sense. Yes. This no. is like in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, totally. When the Beast... Like that scared me a lot as a kid too. Yeah. I think... Look, he flies into a rage when she opens... Bluebeard is scary. Yeah. He's a very violent man. <laughs> no, I mean the Beast and Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like he, like for a kid's movie, like at, least, oh, right, when, right, at right. least when I was a kid, I was like, that was over the top. It is over the top. Now, and the other interesting thing is that he had, this guy, Walter, had a bag with a key. Yes. So he's literally a bluebeard, almost, like to, the, to that detail too. Right, where he had this secret bag and he's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Don't open my black satchel. Yeah, it's crazy but if you tell someone not to do something that's a little suspicious you gotta play you gotta wait for the first time they're gone you're gonna fucking open that bag there's no way Uh, right yeah i mean walter or james watson watson would always take the bag with him on his trips i bet you there was some opportunities when he was sleeping (laughs) yeah probably i wonder if any of the wives secretly did open his black satchel he wouldn't have had a magic key no you could wash blood off that No, I agree. Bluebeard is scary. It's scary. And Bluebird. And Bluebird. I'm so embarrassed. Okay. American Bluebird. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Detectives got a hold of 34-year-old Elizabeth Williamson, another one of Watson's wives. Elizabeth was a school teacher, and she met Watson in Spokane through a mutual friend. She fell in love with him fast. They married in August of 1919. 
Watson was going by Harry M. Lewis at this time. Elizabeth, who was a widow, had a six-year-old daughter from her previous marriage. Watson said that he just wanted to take care of her and her daughter and become the daughter's father. Hmm. The kid's name was Jane. Now, she told detectives, she suspects he was really just after the $10,000 life insurance policy that she had received after her husband's death. Elizabeth gave her new husband $3,600 to start a business venture. Watson told her that he wanted to open up a bank. You can do that? I was going <laughs> to ask you, can you just open up a bank? Also, you'd think it would be more than $3,600, <laughs> even e- if you could. Even for 1920. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. I feel like you have to be a millionaire even then to yeah. even think about that. Hmm. But she gave him the $3,600, And after she gave him the money, he went to California while Elizabeth stayed in Spokane to get her own house ready to sell so they could start their new life together in Sacramento. But as was the case with all of his other wives, Watson would go on long, mysterious business trips. He told Elizabeth that he was a secret agent, too. But she considered their marriage a happy marriage and didn't want to be nosy about his business. Elizabeth told detectives that she had traveled with him to Venice, Venice in L.A., but uh, she went home as her husband had business to attend to. She didn't know that he had at least two other wives living in Los Angeles. Yeah. That's why he was going there. One of whom, a woman named Nina Deloney, had gone missing. (gasps) This is a quote from his wife, Elizabeth. Quote, two weeks ago, Tuesday, he left me again, and I have not seen him since. He said he was going to Mexico. Since then, I returned to Sacramento, where I received a telegram saying he was doing well in business and that he was going to Mexico. Later on April 8th, I got a letter from him saying that he was tired and worn out, but he was going into Mexico and for me to write him at the Rosslyn Hotel, Los Los Angeles, in 10 days. Elizabeth continued saying that they had planned to relocate to Santa Barbara because her husband's bank business didn't pan out up in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. She talked about how her daughter Jane said she loved her new dad because he was so kind to her and her mommy. I thought that was really sad. That's really sweet. When Elizabeth Williamson and Catherine Wambacher met each other at the police station in Los Angeles, they compared notes about their husband. Oh, yeah. You what gotta great moment. It was <laughs> this must have been so like yeah exciting for it's both like of them. So awful, but at the same time very exciting, like satisfying. Yeah, you know? he yeah. did that too. Yeah, uh, this is a quote from their conversation taken out of the San Francisco Examiner. Elizabeth, he never used to call me by my first name. Catherine, he probably didn't even attempt to call any of his wives by their first name. He might have gotten them mixed up and made no end of trouble for himself. He never called me by my first name either. Elizabeth, and when he brought me clothes for a woman qualifying as a 36, it made me angry. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Catherine, humph. I supposed as fast he abandoned one of us, he... He would take what part of her wardrobe he could carry away and then try to find some wife who was still on his calling list that the clothes might fit. Oh, my God. This is so funny. It seemed that more and more of Watson's wives were being discovered every day. But how was he able to pull so many chicks? 
Maybe the answer lies in the statement of Minnie Ballou from Chicago, who married Watson the previous October. She said, quote, he certainly could make love. He was an expert. <gasps> Ooh, Minnie Ballou. <laughs> <laughs> Minnie had met Watson when she was his landlady. Ooh. They married after only two weeks of knowing each other. Wow. I mean, that's good fucking... Yeah. If they fuck you so good, you marry them two weeks later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in those days, people seemed like they got married fast. Yeah, because they probably wanted to fuck. It made it more legal, right? Well, I think people were fucking before marriage in the I know, 20s. but they still wanted to maybe have it official. Right? They wanted to do it in the butt. And wow. you got to wait for marriage. <laughs> <laughs> that was the law back then. That was the law. There was a lot of weird laws in the 20s. <laughs> uh, so... After the while they were on their honeymoon, though, he bounced. Oh, that's gotta hurt. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're, I would feel so insulted if my husband ditched me on our honeymoon and that he didn't even try to disappear me. Like, I wasn't even worth it for him to try and disappear yeah. me. Yeah. Like, oh, I just was so bad at fucking. What was that about, though? I wonder. Like, did he take her money, though? Did he get something? I think he always got a little something. Yeah, yeah. He I mean, probably had a better prospect. Yeah, yeah. At this time, Watson was still being carefully monitor, monitored at the hospital where he was recovering from his second suicide attempt. On April 20th, Elizabeth was allowed to meet with Watson in the hospital. Their meeting was cordial, and he asked about Jane. Elizabeth said that she was fine and up in Sacramento. Watson asked her how much the police had told her. That same day, detectives attempted to question Watson. They asked him where his wife, Nina Deloney, was. He replied weakly, Kansas City, and he said he would explain the rest later. (laughs) Nina Deloney was born Nina Lee in Kentucky. At some point, she moved to Montana with her mother and brother, and it was here that she met her first husband, a businessman named Harvey Franklin Young. When Young died in 1914, he left Nina with a healthy sum of money. She then moved to Portland, Oregon, where she met and married her second husband, J.F. Deloney. They got divorced, and she moved back to Montana, where she sold the home that she had lived in with her deceased husband. She left Montana for San Francisco in 1919, taking with her the large sum of money that she had made selling the property. She met and married Watson that same year in December. When she married Watson, he was going by the name Charles Harvey. The newlyweds moved to Santa Monica in January of 1920, and they lived at the Fielding Hotel on 2nd Street, right by the beach. The Fielding Hotel manager, Mrs. M.I. Green, told detectives that on the morning of January 26th, Nina took a large sum of money out of the bank. She said that she was going to Mexico. Hotel employees saw Nina and Watson drive off together. Nina's family from Kentucky said that they had received a letter from her dated that same day, January 26th. In the letter... She said that she was going on her honeymoon and that they were planning on driving to Mexico and then driving down to South America. Though Nina was reported to have left Los Angeles with Watson on the 26th, Nina's sister said that she had received a postcard from Tijuana dated the 25th. Hmm. She said she didn't even think it was her sister's handwriting. 
Oh, well, yeah. So this was obviously yeah. some forgery happening. Once again, some letters. <laughs> Once again, some letters. This guy couldn't even get the date right. Yeah. He post-dated it too far back. Detectives had discovered items belonging to Nina in Watson's possession. One of the more sinister discoveries was a fur stole that was stained with what appeared to be blood. Among Watson's belongings, police found pictures of both him and Nina in Tijuana. The pictures were brought to customs at the California-Mexico border, and an official said that Nina and her husband had entered Mexico. The search for Nina spanned from Mexico to San Diego to Los Angeles, San Francisco, and as far as Sacramento. The discovery of multiple license plates were found in Watson's car, and that expanded the search to Santa Barbara. Wow. So they were going like all over the state of California. There were so many paper trails left behind by Watson that the search for Nina was just overwhelming. Yeah. Like, because he had, they had been everywhere even out of the country. Yeah. On April 27th, police employed a pretty wild tactic in an attempt to get Watson to confess to murdering Nina. I, this sounds really fucking shady. Okay. I know it's hard to believe the LAPD is (laughs) doing some shady shit. I'll try to to wrap my head around it. Try to suspend your disbelief, Desi. The police told the LA Times that they had found Nina Deloney's body and that she had been stabbed to death. (gasps) The truth is, they had no body. That's crazy. They just fucking lied to the Times to get them to print a story that was completely bogus, that they had found the body, she had been stabbed to death. In the hopes that he would see it and confess? or Exactly. They wanted to rattle Watson's cage and they went about it in this completely fucking crazy way. So Watson's attorney, a guy named J. Morgan Marmaduke. (laughs) (laughs) He almost got through it. (laughs) Well, I was imagining a dog detective. I mean, mean, a dog lawyer. Marmaduke. I was imagining his lawyer was a dog. A big old gangly. (laughs) (laughs) Marmaduke, Mm -hmm. the attorney, he told the Times, this is all news to me. And then he woofed. (laughs) He said that he believed that Nina would be found alive. And then he was like, I'm filing for a writ of habeas corpus. Oh, shit. It's going down when you file for that writ. (laughs) I would love to file for a writ of habeas corpus. (laughs) Just to, to pull that out like, at some excuse, point in your excuse life. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> upon, upon filing for the writ, police formally charged Watson with bigamy. Because they're like, well, we got to keep him. Yeah. They needed to keep him, so they charged him with bigamy. Detectives knew that they did not have enough to charge him with murder without this body. And soon, a body was found. But it wasn't Nina Deloney's. It was someone else's body, but it was one of Watson's wives. (laughs) Jesus. I think at this point, if you find a woman's body, there's a very good chance they might have been married to James P. Watson. It seems that way. The probability is very high that if you were a woman of a certain age in 1920... And had remotely any sort of um, inheritance or life insurance policy. Anything. You don't even have to be that wealthy. Yeah. 
He's small you, potatoes. You might have been married to James P. Watson at some point. Ask your great grandma. Right. Now, was this one of the women we've talked about? No. Okay. This is a new body that they have found. Elizabeth Betty Pryor. They actually had found this body in Olympia, Washington, the previous summer in 1919, but they had finally linked it, linked her okay. to Watson. Betty married Watson in March of 1919, 1919 in Coeur Idaho. He married her under the name Hilton Lewis. The DA in Thurston County wanted to extradite Watson to Washington and charge him with murder. But Watson didn't want that. He wanted to stay in California. He finally broke down and said that he would confess to killing Nina if they would agree to let him stay in California where he could serve life in prison in San Quentin. And he was about to make a very big confession. And that's where we will leave off. Ooh, he really wanted to stay in California. (laughs) Yeah, and I imagine that they would have gone for the death penalty in Washington? To either. Okay. Uh, to like, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so he asked, he's like, I'll make a deal with you if I can get life in prison. In California. In California. I see, yeah. Yeah, but he really didn't want to go to Washington. No offense. <laughs> no offense to Washington. He wanted to go to San Quentin. Um, yeah, there is a lot of stuff still happening. Okay. In the second episode that we will do. Did you know that Bluebeard... Was based on a real person? Yes. Yes. I just found this out today. You did? Yes. I mean, gosh, I haven't thought about that story in so long, but I was literally obsessed with it as a kid. And I did I did know that it was based on a real person. Okay. So it was based on this guy named Gilles something, a French guy. <laughs> <laughs> Gilles. A French guy. French guy. French guy. Gilles. (laughs) Uh, Gilles, hold on. Let me look him up. Okay. Leave leave this all in. Gilles. Gilles de Race. Gilles de Race. I'm, you know what? My French is is not good. And (laughs) I'm not good at pronouncing French stuff unless it's food. And I always feel stupid I when al- I try to say I it French style. F- I feel so uncultured. Me too. When I'm like croissant, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't. I Gilles laugh. de Rice, please help me, Lord. Uh, this guy, uh, he's 15th century France. He was a, a soldier. He it looks like he was friends with uh, Joan of Arc. Oh, or they hung out or something. <laughs> This story to me is way different than Bluebeard. It is different. He was a pedophile and child serial killer. <laughs> this is not like Bluebeard at all. But he was just the inspiration. Kind of like the guy who was in- inspiration for Dracula, right? Like it's very right. different, but... They're like, who is a ghoulish person? Right, and let's one-up it. But although pedophile might be worse than wife murder, maybe. You know what? They're both pretty bad. <laughs> let's not let's not even get into that conversation. <laughs> so I was thinking, oh, maybe we'll have to do an episode about Gilles de Race yeah. if I can figure out how to pronounce his name. Maybe that would be a good mystery or something. A good Patreon, Maca- like a mystery or a Halloween. Yeah, like we do, like all 
like folklore, the, the folklore, like the, the the real stories behind the um, yeah. terror. Because and also the the story of Bluebeard has been adapted into various oh it's, movies, TV shows. Yeah, it's a common trope. I would I would argue that one of our favorite movies, The Stepfather. Yeah, he's he's a family annihilator and a Bluebeard, but for different reasons. Like Bluebeard is a control, like he's murdering the wives for a different reason. Like the stepfather, I think really wants to have a family. <laughs> Which is why he's a family annihilator. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a slight, that's like an addition. Yeah. But most family annihilators, they only kill one family. Yes. The stepfather was a serial family annihilator. And the story that that's based on is a single incident. Right. I mean, or the inspiration at least. Uh Yeah. No, I think that's an interesting idea to look into the folklore. Right. But I kind of was today thinking like, oh, what are some movies and TV shows that have used this Bluebeard trope? I feel like there's one, it's like, um, I can't figure, I can't think of what it is, but I feel like I even have seen it. Like maybe Richard Burton plays him or something. Like I feel like there's an old movie. I'm pretty sure there is an old Bluebeard movie. Yeah. Um, but this Gilles guy, yikes. Yeah. The stuff I read on Wikipedia today. <laughs> so yeah, I'll have to look into that. Maybe for Halloween, that's what we'll do this year. Yeah, sounds good. Even for mysteries. That's really all I got. Sorry, this is a short episode this week. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. We'll do, we do long ones all the time. Yeah. Um, do you have pictures of all of these characters? I do. Would you like to see a picture of James P. Watson? Just tell me really quick if you think he's hot. I don't think he's hot. It doesn't sound hot. Apparently he was an excellent lover. Here he is. Hello, my baby. Hello, my sweetie. I mean, he he looks good in one of the pictures, but the profile makes him look weirder. Yeah. But we'll post pictures for everyone to see. Yeah. You can decide for yourself. Okay, cool. All right. We'll see you all on Friday. Bye. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.